How you guys doing this morning? Powerful worship set. So glad you guys are here today. We're in a series of messages we're simply calling consumer or consumed. And we're talking about that idea of whether we approach worship through the lens of a consumer who's trying to get a blessing versus a producer that's trying to produce a blessing for our God. The amazing thing about our God is that he doesn't hoard those blessings when we do that. He multiplies them and sends them back. So we ultimately get blessed. But at the end of the day, we are not consumers. We are not the audience of worship. We are, in fact, the producer of wor- producers of worship, and God is our audience. If you missed uh, the manuscript last week or the sermon from last week, you can get the manuscript at info at bridgechurch.cc or any of our messages. For that matter, just uh, uh, email us. If you want to follow along with the outline today, you can go to the Bible app, uh, events, and go to Bridge uh, Princeton, and you can pick up uh, the notes from today, all of the scriptures, all of the points that I've been making, you can take your own notes. If you see somebody texting in church, they might be texting or they might be taking notes. Either way, uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, and if you're texting somebody and say, you have got to get here for the 11 o'clock service, you can text in church. Okay, is that okay? <laughs> and if you post anything, please uh, use hashtag consumer or consumed. Uh, that way we can all see. And I don't know if you do this or not, but go to Facebook and search on consumer, the hashtag consumer or consumed and you'll see what other people are, 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 are posting. We established last week, just kind of recap to get the wheels turning for all of us and to bring those of you that are just coming in up to speed. We talked about the one thing that God wants from us that we have the choice to give or withhold is our worship, our adoration, our praise, our, our hearts. And, and, and we established last week that that sounds like a simple choice. Why wouldn't you worship the God of the universe? But in fact, there is a very real practical battle for our worship. In fact, the battle began before mankind was even created when Satan or Lucifer decided that he wanted worship for himself. We read Isaiah 14. Let's read it again, kind of get our wheels turning. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14, Satan said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. What's the key phrase throughout that scripture? I will. It's about me. It's what I want. I want what I want when I want it. And those I wills got him kicked out of heaven. 30 of the angels that joined him got kicked out with him, but he didn't give up on this idea of being worshipped, so when Jesus came to earth, he went after him. Good news is, of course, Jesus won the battle uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not, what did he say? Not my will, but thine be done. And there the battle lines were drawn I will, I want, versus thy will, what does he want? Am I willing to die to self in order to provide to the God of the universe who created me, made me on purpose, and loves me and empowers me, will I offer to him worship or do I want it for myself? Jesus won the battle that day. Hear me. Jesus won the battle that day. And because he won the battle that day, you can win the battle too. Same power he used is available to you, and so he won it, you can win it. But don't kid yourself, there is a very real battle, because when Jesus drew the line in the sand and said, I'm on the thy will side, Satan just turned his attention to us. And so he's going after us. Now hear me, that's not a light decision of whether I will or thy will, because here's the bottom line, is as long as I take an I will approach to life, everybody you know and care about loses. Everybody. 
when you start taking a thy will approach to life, everybody you know and care about, including yourself, wins. you You pick the right side to be on, and you get to be on the side of the warrior, the one who we depend on as we sing about in our worship time today. So we began learning how to make the thy will, not my will kind of choice last week by recognizing that we are all worshipers, whether we know it or not, everybody worships something. Some people worship totem poles, but everybody worships something. We learned that we're going to have to challenge that consumer mentality that we've all been trained that slipped into our worship, and we learned that the way to do that is to stop focusing on what I don't like about my life and start focusing on who he is and what he's done for me. And when that happens, before you know it, you become a thy will style of worshiper. We concluded last week's message. Again, this is a quick recap, but we concluded last week's message with the only reasonable response to God is, I bring an offering, I am the offering. Not just singing a few songs on a Sunday morning, but I bring you my life as an act of worship. So God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. You can get an early brunch. All of that actually begs a question, doesn't it? I mean, it requires that we, that we so okay, well, that sounds good, but how? I've told you before, one of my pet peeves is to have a preacher tell me what I ought to be doing and not tell me how to do it. So we're gonna, the rest of the series is going to be how-tos. We're going to be talking about how do we begin to give that offering of ourselves, not just during the 25 minutes on a Sunday morning, but throughout our lives, how do we begin to give ourselves as an act of worship. Today, we're going to look at a story, uh, not in great detail, but I want to pull some things out of a story from Jesus' life when he talked to a woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. Jesus was passing by, and instead of going around, he went straight through that forbidden area. He encountered a woman at the well, and he told her about her life, all the yucky stuff of her life. And her response was, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet of God. And for some reason, as soon as she realized that about him, she immediately started asking him about worship. Her first question was about worship. And so let's pick it up in verse 23 of John chapter 4. Here's how he answered her. When she asked him about worship, he said, let's read it together, okay? It's on the screens. One, two, three, go. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. They worship in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That verse tells me a couple of things that I think are important to establish before we get into the meat of the message today. And and, and one of them is there is such a thing, according to this passage, as a true worshiper. Which is to say that there is such a thing as a fake worshiper, a false worshiper, right? And so we need to understand the difference so that we are, in fact, a true worshiper. Can we just be honest here? I know we come from every kind of background and and all kinds of denominational and non-denominational kind of stuff, but there is some crazy stuff out there in the name of worship. Can I get an amen in the house? There is some absolutely weird stuff. You ain't got to worry about us bringing out no snakes around here, okay? There's some really crazy stuff in the name of worship out there. But hear me, guys, just because there's a counterfeit doesn't mean there isn't a real. 
In fact, you will only counterfeit stuff that is both real and valuable. You don't counterfeit $3 bills. Why? Because they're not real and they have no value. What do you do? You counterfeit $100 bills. So the fact that there is a counterfeit tells me that there is a true, a real, and I want it. Anybody here want it? I want the real deal. That's the first thing we get from that passage. The second thing that we get from the passage is the Father is seeking these true worshipers. Hear me. This is huge. He is not seeking true worship. He's seeking true worshipers. Worship is not about what you do. It's about who you are and who you are in relationship with. You with me? So he called it spirit and truth worshipers, which is to say his spirit anoints and inspires my worship, and my spirit connects with his. That's when I am a true worshiper, when his spirit connects with my spirit. We'll talk about that next week. And truth means, what is the ultimate source of truth? It's God's Word, right? And so truth worship is based in the Word of God. What's the boundary for what we do? It's the Word of God because it's the truth. And truth from a human perspective is that it is an honest expression. We'll unpack that during the series too. Truth is, this is what's really going on in my life, and I'm engaging God, not in some fake kind of show, but this honest kind of expression. If you're grieving, guess what your worship will be like? Oh, God, I'm hurting right now. And if you're joyful, then your worship's going to be, oh, thank you, Jesus, for the way things are going right now, right? It's just an honest expression of who you are. We're going to unpack that during the series. We're going to look at attitudes of worship and acts of worship. But today, I want to lean into that simple point that God is not looking for a certain style of worship. He's looking for a certain type of worshiper. And I think there are three characteristics uh, or identifying qualities of a true worshiper, and I just want to make sure we got that as we move forward in this series, because frankly, we can't get to acts and attitudes and all that stuff until we get our hearts right. Am I right? So let's look at three identifying qualities, personal qualities of what Jesus called a spirit and truth worshiper. Let's pick up where we left off last week with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 9. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God, what's the word? Acceptably with what? Reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That phrase reverence and awe tells me that that's where my heart starts in this thing called spirit and truth worship. I say it this way, point number one, if you want to write it down somewhere. Spirit and truth worshipers sometimes worship in awe. Spirit and truth worshipers sometimes worship in awe. In fact, sometimes when you come into the presence of a holy God, the only reasonable response is awe. That's it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in the natural, but when Kim and I were in the Philippines, I happened to be at the Manila airport coming in one day, and I was waiting for my ride uh, outside the airport, and, uh, and Mother Teresa came in. 
And she had an entourage of nuns with her, and they're standing outside of the airport, and she's waiting for her ride as well. And, and I was as close uh, to, to Mother Trace as I am Miss Vicky right now. And I'm standing here looking, and people are approaching her, and people are talking to her, and people are engaging her, and she's receiving them. And I started to walk over and just say, thank you for for your service. Thank you for your persona. I'm thinking about what are the stuff I would say. And, and the more I thought about who this little, tiny, wrinkled up woman was and what she'd done in the world and the impact this little poor lady had had on the world, the more I froze. My feet froze to the pavement. I could not bring myself to walk up to her and speak to her. I just stood there in awe of what she had accomplished in one life without much money to do it with. Does that make sense? I'm told the first time most anybody goes into the Oval Office of the White House, it's the same thing. The most courageous, the most powerful people walk in there and they get weak in the knees. They tell you to go to the bathroom before you go in there because you might just have an accident if you don't. Because there's this sense of, of history and sense of, 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 of this great nation that's there. And the most eloquent are stunned into silence in that moment. In fact, the most common Hebrew word translated worship in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word shaka that literally means to bow down, fall flat, reverence. That's the most common expression for worship. And so, hear me guys, sometimes the only thing a spirit and truth worshiper can do when you find yourself in the presence of God is just stand in awe. The Bible gives so many examples of that. It happened to the John the Revelator when he was translated in a vision to heaven and he found himself in the presence of God. Look, look how he describes the scene. In fact, I want you to turn the camera on in your mind and see if you can picture this scene as best you can from this side of this glass darkly. Revelation chapter 1. He said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Stop right there, picture it now. You're, you're sitting in church at the bridge, and all of a sudden, it's almost like you go into this little trance thing, and you realize you're in a different setting, and you turn around, and the God of the universe is standing there. You got the picture? In his right hand, he held seven stars, which is ultimate majesty. Out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword, which is the truth that pierces through all of our fakes and all of our masks. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And how did John respond to that? When I saw him, read it with me, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. What other response could you have? In that moment, Isaiah had the same kind of experience in uh, in Isaiah chapter six, the chapter that describes his call as a prophet of God. Pick it up in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Picture that one if you can. 
You're in a temple and God himself is sitting on the throne and the train of his robe has filled the whole space above him where seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and thresholds shook. You picturing this? And the temple was filled with smoke. You think our smoke machines make a little smoke? This is the presence of God filling the house, right? And what did Isaiah do? Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. How can I stand in the presence of the holy God? And do anything else. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot so you can sit real still, but I gotta ask you when was the last time you were stunned into silence by the presence of God? When's the last time you came into his presence in such a way that you just recognized he is God and I am not, but he welcomes me? And there and you words would not come. You were stunned into silence. Shows up in different ways and different people. John felt as though he was dead. Isaiah bowed and felt unworthy. Moses saw God, covered his face because he couldn't look upon him, and his face glowed for 30 days. People couldn't look on him. Very commonly, I hear people say in current times, they'll say, you know, I just start crying and I can't stop, and I don't know why. The tears just flow. You know, I just sit there weeping, and I don't get it. That's, that's good. That's, that's worship, genuine spirit and truth, worship in the presence of a holy God. Well, all I'm saying to you is whatever that looks like for you, don't be afraid of that when it washes over you. Don't, don't be afraid of that when it washes over you. There's nothing weird about that. There's nothing counterfeit about that. That's, that's an honest spirit and truth expression of coming into the presence of God. And sometimes it won't do nothing but shut you down. You with me? And he is worthy of that awe and reverence. On the other hand, worship is also sometimes it ain't quiet at all. Can I get an Amen. Spirit and truth worshipers sometimes worship in awe, but sometimes they worship with abandon. I'm talking about now, I'm, I'm talking about becoming so aware of the presence of God, so desirous to express your love uh, for Him and your joy at being in His presence that you forget that there's anybody else around you. You get lost in that moment, and somewhere down deep, something rises up in you and comes out, and you wonder where it came from. I'm talking about this. It ain't about me anymore. I just need somehow to express in some way to the God of the universe how much I love Him. And now I realize, okay, this. Take a breath. Don't run out of the room crying or screaming, okay? I realize that's over the top for some of you. But uh, it's not over to the top in the natural. You ever watch The Price is Right? Come on. Barbara McKillicuddy, come on down. And what does she do? Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I'll be there in a minute. 
These guys go crazy. They, they're dressed in stupid costumes, and they're running and screaming and making a fool of themselves, and they make a bid, and heaven forbid they win the bid, and they get on stage, and they have a chance to win a car. <laughs> they go completely bananas, and then if they win a car, you know, they have to turn the mic off because they go crazy in there, and we understand that. Now, please understand, when they watch the video clip later, they're going to be embarrassed. But right now they don't care because they just want a car, and we understand. Am I right? Or, or any football fans here? You, you ever watch football on TV or been in the stadium, and you look out across the stadium, it's 37 degrees out there, and there's this guy that weighs 280 pounds, and his shirt is off, and his face and chest are painted in the team colors. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs. Understand, he is a bank manager during the week. <laughs> But somehow, for his team, I don't care what anybody thinks of me in this moment. I'm letting it go. Lots of examples of that uh, in Scripture. But my favorite is uh, King David, particularly at a time when the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God and the power of God for the nation of Israel, it had been taken captive by one of their enemy groups, and had been held in captivity for a long time. And finally, the ark is being restored. And as it's coming in, King David got so excited about the presence of God, about the ark of God coming back in, that he started dancing in the streets. And he started dancing so hard that his kingly robes got in the way. And so he took them off, stripped down to his undergarments, so that he could dance more freely. You got the picture? Now, his wife, Michael, is, is in the building looking out the window, embarrassed by him. And she's saying, you're a king. That's not dignified. You shouldn't do that. And what was David's response? Any of you know what his, his response was? 2 Samuel 6, 21 and 22. I like the way the message paraphrases it. Daniel replied to Michael, in God's presence, I'll dance to God's glory. Stop right there. In whose presence? God's presence. I ain't concerned about who else is around me right now. I'm in God's presence. And for whose glory? God's glory. Those are two very important phrases we're going to talk about. I want to make sure you get this. I'm dancing in God's presence. I'm not making a show for anybody else because I don't know if anybody else is here. And I'm doing it, but I'm doing it for his glory, not to draw attention to myself. Come on. More recklessly, I'll do it more recklessly than even this. And as far as I'm concerned, I will gladly look like a fool. I don't know if you guys ever see me over here in the front row during worship time, and sometimes I get to dancing, and I, I'm the stupidest looking dancer on the planet, but I just can't help myself, okay? <laughs> and I don't care. Get over it. Don't put a camera on me during that time, okay? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not giving you license to strip down to your skivvies and dance. In fact, if you do that, Sheriff Pierce will be glad to give you a ride to the county jail. <laughs> Got it? Indecent exposure or something like that. Because that's not what David did. Understand what it says, stripped down to his undergarments. What he had was his kingly robes on, but he had a full suit of clothes under him. 
It's kind of like coveralls. I mean, it's put it in the context of our day. It's a judge who has on dress pants and a white shirt and a tie, but he puts his judge's robe on and he walks out and he has the persona of a judge. He can take his robe off, but he's still fully dressed. Okay? What King David was doing is, I don't care about my persona. I don't care about this dignity thing or how people uh, want me to look. I'm engaged with God, and I'm in, I'm in touch with God. I'm going to take off my mask, and I'm going to be myself. The Hebrew word for what David did is actually a compound word. The first part of that compound word is hallel. That means to praise, to be clamorously foolish. That's what that Hebrew word means. The second part of that compound word is Yah, which is the abbreviated form of Yahweh, which means, uh, of course, Yahweh is the promise-keeping God. So, so what English word do you think we get from Hallel, Yah? We get hallelujah. You know there are only two words on the entire planet that are, in this, that are the same in every language of the planet? Hallelujah is one of them. You know what the other one is? Taxi. I, well, I don't, it's, it's true. Every, every culture of the world, taxis. <laughs> say, taxi, you got it. Uh, but hear me, guys. You, you can't even say hallelujah dignified. Hallelujah. It don't even sound right. Hallelujah comes out as hallelujah, you know. Whether it's quiet or loud, it comes out in this thing that rises up. So hear me, guys. Sometimes worship is quiet. Sometimes it is stunned into silence. Sometimes it is hallelujah, an expression of joy, which literally means everything you can think of, but you can't find the words for it, so the only word you can find is hallelujah. That's what it means. I've been asked through the years, Pastor Jim, what's the boundary? I've already told you what the boundary is. It's the Word of God. We look at acts and attitudes during the rest of this series, but hear me, guys. Uh, sometimes worship, spirit and truth worship, is stunned into silence, and sometimes it is an expression, but that is not a license to go crazy. I want to camp out on this for a minute because I want to make sure we're clear about this. You get to that point where you're so lost in your emotions that you had a great time, but you disrupted everybody else around you? That's not spirit and truth worship. You don't have the right to have a hallelujah moment and disrupt somebody else's awe moment in the process. Does that, does that make sense? In fact, if you think somehow Pastor Jim's quenching the Spirit, the Scriptures are clear about this. That's why, that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23, suppose the whole church meets together and everyone speaks in different languages. If some people come in who do not understand or do not believe, they will say you are crazy. Now, he's speaking specifically about speaking in tongues in that passage, but the principle is the same i got to be honest with you. I grew up in a, in, a, in a great church, wonderful church, taught me the Word of God. But quite frankly, they didn't understand what the Scriptures taught about managing the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And the result was there was no way I ever would have brought an unbelieving friend to church with me because I never knew what they were going to do next. 
especially Miss Hazel. I just never knew what they were going to do next. So hear me, guys. I'm not quenching the spirit here, but we are going to do according to what the scriptures say. We're going to have awe moments, and we're going to have hallelujah moments, but we're always going to be aware of the fact that we're in a place where people from every walk of life and background and every level of spiritual maturity are here, and we're going to be respectful of one another while we worship. Does that make sense? Hear me. The same Holy Spirit that inspires you to worship is the same Holy Spirit that's convicting the person down the road that they need to come to Jesus. He will not lead you to do something that will drive that person away. So if it's Holy Spirit inspired, it won't drive away, it will draw. Come on. Come and dine. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Remember, God is not seeking a certain style of worship. He's seeking a certain quality of worshiper. Sometimes that means stunned into silence, awe. And sometimes it is with abandon. The third quality, though, that I think all of us, this is not a sometimes, this is an always, if you're getting it right, Spirit and truth worshipers always long for intimacy. The goal of whatever it is that we're doing, whatever acts we're demonstrating for worship, the the end game, the goal of it all is to come into this intimate place with God. It is to be drawn into the presence of a holy God. He said we can come boldly before the throne of grace because the blood of Jesus Christ paved the way. Not because we're worthy, we're not, but because Jesus made the way. We can come into his presence, and he he beckons us, he begs us, he invites us. He says, please come, because I want an intimate relationship with you. David describes that kind of dynamic as well as any I know in Scripture. And let's just be honest, if you know David's life at all, Uh, you know that he had a real journey to get to that place of intimacy with God. It was a journey filled with his humanity. It was a journey filled with hypocrisy. It was a journey filled with sin. David had a journey to get there. But in time, God called him a man after his own heart. You know why I think God said that about him? I think it's because David, with all of his foibles that this was his goal. Psalm 27, verse 4. I like the way the New King James translates it. One thing I have desired, David said, of the Lord, that I will seek, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What am I going to seek? I'm going to seek to dwell in his house, to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple. I I want you to understand the the depth of those words. The word dwell in the Hebrew is the word uh, yahab that literally means to settle in, to abide, to establish, to remain. The word behold 
is the word kazah that means to burn an image in your mind and to contemplate with pleasure. The word inquire is the Hebrew word bakar that literally means to admire, to care for. So take those three words. Let's unpack that a little bit. Let's make sure we get it. So we are going to, the, the goal is to dwell, settle in, abide, establish, remain. It is to behold, to burn an image in your mind, to contemplate with pleasure, and to inquire, which is to admire or care for. The, the closest human parallel that I can think of, and I don't want to embarrass uh, Kim, but I have her permission to, to share this, uh, is really my relationship with Kim. Kim is loyal. She is strong. Uh, she is, has an incredible work ethic. She loves our family in ways that puts me to shame. She loves God more than she loves me. And when she says, I think the Lord might be saying something, I stop dead in my tracks to hear what she's heard. After 42 years together, 41 years of marriage, uh, I'm beginning to know this lady. And those three words come to mind. I love to dwell with her, to settle in, remain. I love just being around her. I mean, we're at that place in our relationship where we don't have to talk. We just sit in the room together, enjoy being in one another's presence. She doesn't have to speak, but I love the sound of her voice. Love to just listen sometimes. I love to behold her. I love the fact that her image is so burned in my mind that everywhere I go, anytime I stop, I can picture her in my mind. I, it's just it's so burned in, and I can contemplate that with joy. In fact, anytime I walk into a room, and I think there's any chance at all that Kim's going to be in that room, the first thing I do is I scan the room for Kim. You know, sometimes she comes to first service, and sometimes it's 11 o'clock service, and sometimes she goes to Goldsboro with me, so I'm never sure exactly which service she's coming to. So the first thing I do is, Kim here? Yeah, is Kim in the room? It's, why? Because I, just, I love to behold her. And I'm sorry, ladies, uh, I've been in, in, in thousands of rooms with tens of thousands of people over these years, and I've never met a woman who holds a candle to her. I mean, just sorry, ladies, you don't stand a chance. I just... I'm, I don't know what to tell you. She's the most beautiful woman in every room on the planet. And I love to serve her. Admire, care for. Okay, let's be honest. In the early years of our marriage, I loved to serve her in hopes that she would serve me back. Come on. And if she didn't serve me back, I, I didn't love to serve her so much. Because I wanted her to reciprocate. I wanted her to respond. But over the years, I've come to that place where uh, on a regular basis, I came, is there anything I can do to help you feel more secure or more supported? I mean, if you respond, great. If you don't, okay. I'm not doing this to get anything. I just love to serve her. And I get it wrong a lot. Ladies, in case you haven't figured it out yet, your husband is dumb when it comes to what you need. Hello, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, if I have to tell him what I need, then I'm not going to 
to do that. I'm not going to get it. Well, then learn to live without it because he may be willing to. He just don't know. <laughs> right? But I try to know because I love to serve her. And so I'll ask him, what can I do? Anything I can do? Now, you may say that that's not a, an appropriate parallel relationship between a husband and a wife that's grown to intimacy uh, to, to this intimate relationship with God, but the Bible, in fact, says that we are His bride. Can you imagine God thinking like that about you? He does. Can you imagine thinking about God that way? He wants you to. And that's what spirit and truth worshipers ultimately do because they know, I might have mentioned this, but I'll say it again, they know that worship is not about what we do, it's about who we are and who we're in relationship with. And that is what I'm praying for, for you, for us, because that's the kind of worshipers that God is seeking. Sometimes it's stunned into silence, awe. Sometimes it's with abandon in your private prayer closet out in the woods, scream at the top of your lungs. Don't ever stop being respectful in a public place. But always it is about coming into intimacy with him. Did I mention there's a battle for that? that? That even when we want that, it's not as easy as saying, I want that. Have you figured that out yet? There's a very real battle, and Satan uh, uses whatever darts he can to prevent you from being that kind of worshiper. You know what one of his favorite techniques is? To tell you, you can't worship God at that level. You can't be intimate with God because you have a past. And you know what you did. And there's no way that God would welcome someone like you who's done what you've done into his inner courts, into his inner heart. There's no way that God sees you that way. You need to know that that's what the lady at the well that Jesus encountered was thinking when she met him. She had a reputation in town. Shall we say a reputation with men? Figure out what I'm talking about. John 4, 14, Jesus said to her, whoever drinks the water I will give will never be thirsty again. The water I give will become a spring of water flowing inside him. It will give him eternal life. It's not about who you've been or even where you are, or how far you've come. It's about the direction of your feet from this point forward. I, for one, want to be a spirit and truth worshiper. Sometimes I want to be in his presence in a way that I am stunned into silence. Other times, I want to get my boogie on. <laughs> Always. I want to know him. 
I've been doing my best to serve him for 45 years, and I just, I just want to know him. Do you? I hope so. I pray so. Because I want you to win your battle. Because blessings are on the other side of choosing sides. Let's pray. Father, you know us. You know who we are. You, you know what's really going on in all of our lives and, and even what's going on in our minds right now. And I pray simply that you'd speak to every one of us in that intimacy. Speak into our spirits with truth. I know the message you want to send is a message of love and grace, forgiveness where needed connection, intimacy. I pray that we could receive it. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. We're going to have a prayer team up here in just a few minutes, but for now, I want you to pray with me. First, I realize there may well be somebody either in this room or watching online that You've never even thought of it this way. You've never said, Jesus, I, I want you to forgive me. Give me a fresh start. I want to do it differently this time. And I don't, want to be, I don't want it to be about what I will, I want. I want it to be about what you will and what you want. I want to be in a real relationship with you. You've never prayed a prayer like that. Would you pray with me now? Pray silently, pray aloud, but pray that simple prayer. Jesus, I know you love me. I want to love you back. Help me. Forgive me for the ways that I've loved me more. And help me to love you more. I'm counting on you. To help me make up the difference between what I'm capable of and this longing for intimacy with you that I have. In Jesus' name. For others of you, you've been walking with the Lord for, for a month, a year, a decade, a lifetime. This is not a journey that ever ends. This side of heaven, we're constantly saying, God, help me to move closer into you. Become more like you, more intimate with you. And let my worship, my very life, be an act of worship. So would you pray that prayer with me, church family? Jesus, bring us to a more intimate place with you. Wherever we are right now, take me a step closer to you today as a result of the, the lessons that I've learned, the scriptures that I've read, the spirit that I've sensed. Bring me a step closer to you, and I will give you thanks and all the glory for the way you do that. In Jesus' name.